consider yourself a high achiever, smart, driven, highly successful, I am so excited to have you. My name is Julia Arndt and I'm the host of the Stress Podcast. I will help you develop your stress resilience the same way you've developed your workplace superpowers. Learn peak performance tools to thrive at work and in your personal life. Let's get started. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Stress Podcast. I'm super excited to welcome our next podcast guest to the show, and it's Frank Delph Hugo. Hey, Frank, how are you doing today? I'm great. Great. How are you? I'm doing good. Thank you so much. Good. Frank, I always start my podcast uh, with three very simple questions. Number one, where are you located? Number two, what time is it? And number three, what have you been up to this morning? Okay, great. Yeah, I think some of some of in answering those questions, it'll be um, also answer some of the work I do um, as we move forward. So um, I live in in uh, the Bay Area, California, so Silicon Valley. I live in a small town called Los Gatos. Um, it's right below the Santa Cruz Mountains. It's ten seventeen a.m. over here uh, right now um, on a Thursday, Thursday morning. Um, so you know what what so far how's my day been so this is my my thursday schedule is pretty much on track and and i'll talk about more of this um as we go through um some of the questions julia is going to ask me but um i started off with a cup of coffee that's usually what i do in the morning and then I, um on tuesdays and thursdays i go to the gym so i work out uh before that i do i do um some stuff that I call protocol and process work. Really, I do breathing exercises and it, it's anywhere from a brief 15-minute uh, meditation to other types of breathing, box breathing. So I do that every single morning. Um, I get up about six and I start, it, start with coffee, that, and then I go into reading a couple pages of a book that tells me more about theory or something in the type of business that I do. Um, just because it, uh, it's a good way for me to start my day and get that early work in um, when I'm, you know, getting ready for the rest of my day. And then I went home uh, from the gym, took a shower, came back, and here I am. Very nice. Office. That sounds like a nice, nice morning. And you have a nice candle lit in the background and a nice plant. I love that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thanks for sure. And that's so important to me too. the environment, especially here. I see, mm -hmm. see a lot of clients and, um, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's a really great place for me to concentrate and focus. Yeah. Yeah. Very nice. Frank, um, tell us a little bit more about what you do on a day-to-day -day basis with clients. So I have a, um, I have an interesting, uh, uh, you know, parallel career where I went to, uh, did my undergrad work and my graduate school work in clinical psychology. I'm a psychotherapist in, in the Bay Area. Um, it, you know, when I first got licensed, uh, I had an office in, in a town over here called Mountain View, California, and I was, I was there working. And uh, the office across from me was a place called Growth and Leadership Center. And uh, the owner of the Growth and Leadership Center was a training and development and executive coaching firm. Um, her and I would talk in the hallway and, and she actually said, you know, Frank, I really like your voice. I'd like you to work for us. So yeah. I said, because of my voice, 
So um, <laughs> yeah, so I started in, uh, so I have a, a practice where I see right now uh, psychotherapy clients um, and I do executive coaching and training and development. And I have clients um, around here and in Southern California right now. The other thing that's going on, and, and it seems like I'm doing a lot, but it's really, it's I've really well balanced at this stage in my career. But one of my employees approached me with an idea about a staffing company to staff therapists and psychologists in nonprofit organizations. Um, one of the things that's happening because of this mental health crisis uh, with COVID is that as, as most people know, there's a high, high demand for therapists, psychologists, psychiatrists, counselors, coaches, life coaches, um, all of that's happening. And what, um, what, when you get out of graduate school, you need to do a certain amount of hours to get your take your state boards and get your licensure. And there's been a shortage of supervisors to supervise people who are fresh out of out of university. So we fulfill that need and we staff, you know, clinical supervisors and agencies to help people get to licensure quickly so they can see people. Um, mm -hmm. and, and there's just a real, a real demand for us right now. Yeah, that's great. I used to live in Mountain View for three years. <laughs> oh, great. Yeah, yeah. great town. Great yeah, town. great town. I really like Mountain View as well. I'm kind of curious, you know, maybe especially as a man and maybe that that might be a prejudice or like a, I don't know, whatever you want to call it. But I'm kind of curious how you made that decision when you came out of high school to study psychotherapy. Yeah, so it's interesting. Uh, our, my, my father was a physician in San Jose. Uh, my mom was a nurse. Um, all of, all of, uh, out, of, out of five children, my dad was a pediatrician. They had five children. Out of five children, three of us jumped into service professions. You know, one of my, one of my um, sisters is, a, a, a both of my two, of my, two of three sisters are school teachers. Um, I jumped into therapy. Uh, you know, it's, it's like, you know, what was the reason of my thinking at the time? I thought, oh, I'll help people. Um, Cause I mm -hmm. kind of, we I grew up that way in my family, but, you know, as you go through this, you, you, you know, you kind of, as we learn more and get a deeper awareness of ourselves, one of the things I figured out is, you know, I played media mediator in my family quite often. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it wasn't necessarily me mediating arguments or fight, but if fights or if, it, but if it was, you know, uh, uh, having a problem between a sister and a brother, for some reason, I would get in and mediate. Uh, if my parents had something to say about another sibling, um, I would be the one talking to them about it. And then they started approaching me. So I kind of naturally came into that um, position. And uh, here I am today. And I, I still currently love what I do. So it's, it's great. That's awesome. Very cool. And I'm also curious to know about the mental health crisis that you mentioned. Can you tell us a little bit more about, you know, maybe for especially from a psychotherapist standpoint, um, where are we where we're at today? Or why sure. are we where we're at today? Yeah. Yeah, sure. You know, I, I think if, if we just go back two and a half years, um, e even then people have been dealing, you know, with um, 
stress and and mm -hmm. uh, work related stress, family related, relationship related stress, and uh, people seek psychotherapy to get relief from that, or they seek life coaching and other things, which which all are really fantastic tools if people reach out for for that support. Mm -hmm. um, so we we you know generally there's been a there's a steady flow of humanity that you know have certain periods of life where they need some feedback or help or support, or even to get even better that's something they're already good at. And um, I think, you know, the, the helping and service professions serve that need. Um, the difference that you, when I said the mental health crisis, once COVID hit uh, and that epidemic, it was really interesting from a therapist perspective in that um, we, you know, I had my own challenges with uh, businesses and work. We, mm -hmm. we closed three offices and mm -hmm. I had a lot of crisis oriented stuff going on. We had to go all online. Um, and then my clients were going through, um, you know, issues with working from home, uh, getting laid off, not being able to work. And then if you have children, throw in two, one, two or three children doing classes online with the whole family at home um, and then parents um, doing that. And then one of the things we don't realize already now, because um, uh, Pro Zoom and other other uh, other video based uh, platforms they weren't perfect right before covid because they had the, because and and then we had covid hit and then we had millions of people jumping online so there was a lot of great great changes and people i think went into survival mode and when when we go into survival mode um, julia you'll know this that we often go into fight or flight and um, we're using a different part of our brain. We just wanna survive and get to the next day. So as a result, um, I think a lot of people did survive and some people thrived and did really well, but really you weren't seeing a lot of crisis during that time because people were surviving and they weren't, they weren't saying, they were just doing what they needed to do to get food you know, and shelter and work and get their kids taken care of. So what we find now with, uh, we found a lot of people were going to um, getting in therapy as they could or getting uh, coaching as they, as they had time for. Uh, but after it was, it was like when everybody, COVID started to get under general control, people, you know, it seemed like we took a collective deep breath and then once once we said, okay, now we can get back to normalization again, I saw even more clients, and a lot of people mm -hmm. um, realized they were they went through a, a basically a traumatic event and were dealing with um, the consequences of trauma, which was anxiety, depression, relationship issues, hopelessness, job related stuff, and and so that's what I mean about the mental health crisis. Um, it's yeah. it's it's alive and well. Yeah, yeah, thank you so much for explaining that to us. Now you, you know, already kind of started to talk about you do kind of this intersection between psychotherapy, but also some leadership coaching, executive coaching. I know you also do brain based and neuroscience based coaching. Can you tell us a little bit more about how you got into that? And for those of the listeners that maybe don't really know what that is exactly in, in the combination with coaching, can you tell us a little bit more about how you use that in coaching as well? Sure, sure. So the brain-based um, coaching and leadership coaching, it, you know, it, it, it intersects with my background in psychology. I've always had a, a you know, a, a massive interest in, you know, why we do the things we do and how our mm -hmm. brain operates. Um, so I've, I've um, 
definitely looked at neuroscience and been educated in neuroscience and, you know, really understanding that um, a lot of people, there are a lot of things with our brains and in brain science that we have control over, there are a lot of things we have absolutely no control over. And so I'm, I'm looking, constantly looking at, so how can we work with our brains, you know, and our hearts, but really work mm -hmm. with our brains on how we can adapt and adjust to life in a, in a productive way to get even better at the things we're doing. So from a brain-based leadership perspective, this is a, this is a, a tool that I'm certified in and it comes from psycho, uh, the concept of psychological safety. And um, uh, a woman named a Amy Edmondson, uh, you know, put together, wrote a, has, she's a researcher at Harvard and she wrote a book on, you know, how, uh, about how achieving great teams, um, and it came, you know, by the way, uh, psychological safety studies came out of Google, Julia, um, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. uh, they did, uh, and that's where I got really interested in it, um, that if we looked at in us individually and us as a team and how our brains operate collectively, what would, what would build the most effective teams? And that's creating safety in a team. And that's where I come from, and 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 I do similar similarly with families. But really, what we do is, if we can create psychological safety in the workplace, our teams are going to be more productive, more happy. We're going to retain more people. So, uh, what what we do when I do a, um, a team building or a team trading, we initiate the brain based leadership. Um, uh, tool and then we get back the results. We aggregate them and then we have a team building meeting and talk about it. Talk about it and we can look at what people, where people are, on um, certain parts of that and how mm -hmm. they can come together with their strengths and weaknesses. Mm -hmm. I'm actually really curious about that. Can we talk a little bit more about that part? So you send kind of a brain-based leadership assessment, um, and what kind of questions are those? Like what kind of areas would people need to answer questions about? Yeah, so it's called a safety assessment. And it would uh -huh. be like we look at we look at esteem, we look at we look at um, stress, we look at uh, communication, um, we look at a number of different areas, and mm -hmm. then um, and and it's really a, it's really a, a, a tool based on preference, not judgment. So it's not mm -hmm. weakness or strength. It's what's your preference. So, for example, a couple of questions on esteem doesn't mean necessarily about high self-esteem or low self-esteem, but esteem. A question might be: Do you like receiving? Um, do you like receiving awards and accolades for mm -hmm. your work and being recognized? And if you score really high in that, that might that shows me maybe as your manager that it might be good to give you compliments and and give you regular feedback on your. Uh, positive feedback. If you score low on that, I might I might not need to address that with you. It's a it might be a non-issue. So you so let me just use that example. If we look mm -hmm. at the esteem questions, usually you find that when people are earlier in their careers, they have a high esteem need. You want to mm -hmm. know that you're doing the right thing. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we don't want to guess. We don't want to say, oh, yeah, this seems to be the right thing. So we need people to say, you're doing great. Thank you. You're doing great work. We appreciate you. Um, as people get more skilled at their jobs and they move up um, in the, you know, work or corporate ladder, um, they often need less esteem. They have less need for these um, for feedback and accomplishments because they have that level of 
of experience. So it's not a good, bad judgment. It's just, this is how we look at these, at these tool, at these um, questions. Mm, very interesting. And then you basically share that assessment, obviously with the team. And then are there any exercises or any, you know, team buildings you can do as well to kind of maybe create that psychological safety? It's so interesting that that's kind of what's connected to psychological safety, that people want more recognition, for example, or, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I don't know what, what the stress part entails, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. so it's, so, it, so for example, what we, we will look at trigger management. So um, it, it will look at how people uh, relate with each other. And if I'm feeling psych, you know, from a broad point perspective, if I'm feeling psychologically unsafe, what do I need to do internally with myself to manage mm -hmm. the triggers? And mm -hmm. so there's a, you know, there's a protocol for that, the trigger management that we do. And then um, if I feel, um, if I'm in conflict with somebody, how do I manage that? And so we talk a lot about um, you know, a, a bit of, when we're talking about tools for this particular um, uh, brain-based leadership, we, it does, a lot of it does come from cognitive behavioral therapy, where we look mm -hmm. at our thoughts that impact how we feel and act. So our thoughts impacting our feelings and behaviors. So if I want to change my feelings and my behaviors, I need to address my thoughts. So really reframing situations where I feel like um, where I might be talking negatively about myself or about others and switching that into a, a reframe. And, and, you know, we kind of break down some really specific steps, uh, but looking at it as uh, this will help me this will help my team and this will help uh, our overall organization with psychological safety. Mm, so interesting. Um, I have another question for when you were talking about brain-based leadership and you know that you were saying that you're really curious about the neuroscience and that you really learned a lot about that. Do you have any books that really maybe helped you understand that or changed the perspective on things that you had before? Kind of curious because I do see a lot of books in your bookshelf behind you as well. Oh yeah, yeah. So a couple of things that you know, I, I really uh, I would say just kind of broad, broad brush of of if we look at so what's my belief system protocols things that I think are really helpful for building our brain resilience and strength. Um, that I would uh, one book I you know I. I I have a book ready that I wanted to talk about that really um, I've, it's a real recent one, but um, it's, it's called the undefeated mind. Um, okay. And uh, it's by a guy named a doctor physician from named Alex Lickerman. And it's on the science science of um, constructing an indestructible self. And so, mm -hmm. What he talks about is um, again, if we're in us, if we're building our our neuroscience and our brain strength and our resilience and how we interact in teams, um, it, it's a really good book for looking at how do we um, that as human beings we often think we're powerless in doing things, and as mm -hmm. a result we don't try to do things or we avoid difficult um, topics or discussions. And part of this book is is really looking at um, that we're not power, they're not, we're not powerless. There is a protocol, there are ways and methods of us um, working towards improving um, ourselves overall. And part of that goes with how we talk to each other, finding our mission, um, making, making a vow or a commitment to do something, but also expecting obstacles. 
and obstacles are going to be in our life from today, tomorrow, and for the rest of our lives. So it's really looking at obstacles as opportunities. And, and again, if we talk about the, word, the reframing of a situation, if I'm having a bad day or something happens to me, I can look at it one of one of two ways. I can go, oh, this is too much to take. I'm going to take the rest of the day off. Or as one of my colleagues um, has this uh, this tool, this you know practice where he calls it ohms. Like when we when we're meditating, we go ohm. Mm-hmm. So he he said he changed. They changed the spelling, and it's obstacles make me stronger. O m m s ohms so so little little tools like that will allow us to um, really when we're talking about neuroscience we can change neuro pathways we can make one part of our brain stronger than the other part of our brain and what i when i say that is that we if if you just think of us you know real basically as having two brains um and, and we have our primitive, you might have heard primitive, lizard brain, all of these um, different types. And pointing back here, it's in the area called the amygdala. So our, our pr- more primitive brain is, a, is part of our brain that saves our lives. That, uh, you know, hundreds of thousands of years ago, we needed our primitive brain to um, deal with uh, the environment, to deal with big, dangerous animals, and to deal with other tribes. Um, we still need that primitive brain in today's society, but not so much. We need it maybe when we're stepping off a curb or we're, you know, cars coming really fast or we sense danger with another person that we might not trust around us. So it is a good uh, part of our brain that we need, but it's not, we're not in, a, in as much danger as we were hundreds of thousands of years ago. So the, the problem is though, from a neuroscience perspective is this old primitive brain is way stronger, way more resilient. It's been around longer than our newer part of our brain, which is our prefrontal cortex. Okay. So we need, so breathing, doing some cognitive behavioral exercises and other things can actually pool resources and build the build the muscle of our prefrontal cortex, which is better for problem solving, creativity, thinking, relationships, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Thank you so much for explaining that to us. I want to talk with you a little bit about anger management because um, that was something that really resonated with me when I first read more about you, and it's something that I've actually never really addressed in the podcast. And I think mm. you know as we both know, and maybe some people and some listeners know that already because they've been listening to the podcast for a while, but when we are in our fight or flight response, when we're experiencing high levels of stress, we usually also are higher in emotions. And that can mm-hmm. sometimes translate into being more angry, um, right? And right. to maybe um, react quicker or to be more frustrated or to say things that we later regret. And so I wanted to talk with you about anger management and how you help people become, I, awareness is always the first thing, right? But then how do we manage emotions and how, how do we manage anger? Mm, such a good question. It's I, I have um, even clients who will come in and I'll, in my mind, I'm working working on them with emotional regulation and, and anger management. And they'll say, but what, tell me how to do anger management. Should I take an anger management class? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and one of the things I would, I would start with is the, you know, I, you'll, you hear me talk about protocols and processes and practices. 
And one of the things I will say is that that's, that's um, the indirect pathway we need to start to take to get control of our anger. So if you think of our hierarchy of needs, um, we need to have food, shelter, um, you know, be able to have a job uh, that we're, where we're, where we're making a living so that we can support ourselves. Um, so we need all those baseline things that create less stress and less anger because we feel safe. Now, the other thing to think about, though, is we're always going to have challenges um, in our lives that that create anger. Uh, it could be driving, you know, it could be driving here. It could be me not getting a, you know, I have a gate in my office. I have a key I have to put in. It doesn't, it, it takes me a while all the time to to move it. That, even that can, I can get angry with. So, so mm. I think what, one thing to think about, though, and, and I, I think a clear way of thinking with anger is this we have an anger stimulus, right? So something happens to us um, and we have a response to what happens to us. Many of us have a habit of responding um, and a habit of responding based on the family, re family we grew up in, based on what we've learned with our friends uh, and how we, grew, how we grew up with our peers. Um, maybe even in the workplace, we, had, we, we witnessed and learned from a, an abusive boss or a person who's just really um, inappropriate. So we, we all have a way of how we learn to deal with um, emotions. So when, I, when we start with, okay, what's a stimulus and, and a response, it's usually pretty habitual that I've done it so much, I do it over and over again. And I've had, you know, managers, uh, employees, uh, direct reports complain about managers I'm coaching in a 360 or something that'll say he's really aggressive and he's really uh, has a short fuse and all of those things. So breaking that down, stimulus, an employee asks a boss a question, his, his or her manager a question, uh, the, the manager explodes at them or yells at them or, or humiliates them in front of people. What, what we would work with just with that is, okay, what triggered you about what the employee said to you? What was your response? And then my work and, and our work is working on the space in between. That when we have something that makes us angry, we have to create space. We can't go boom, boom. And, and creating the space is, is anger management. And that goes... Um, and, and, you know, Julie, I'm sure you've talked about this a number of times in a couple of your podcasts I was listening to around emotional regulation and stuff is just that, that we are, we are taking care of ourselves. We are doing our breathing exercises. We are doing relaxation stuff. And it's not just when the incident happens. And I'm, I'm, it's mm -hmm. like I'm exercising my brain every day to create a gap between stimu stimulus and response. And if I, and the, other, the other thing too is then uh, when you're talking about anger management, we will uh, move, we will really uh, stage anger management. So you'll often hear people say, she did this to me or he did this to me and I lost it, right? Mm -hmm. What we'll do with anger management is say, okay, well, tell me how you lost it. Well, first she, I'm trying trying to think of an example there, but mm -hmm. they'll they'll say, well, um, I didn't like the way she spoke to me, so I don't know what happened. I just yelled at her and called her a name. And I'll say, okay, well, let's back it up. What happened to you? What happened that morning before you went to work? 
you know, what was going on with you and what was going on with you when you were talking to her? What's your history with her? How do you react to people when they disagree with you? And then so you can, we can really stage anger as making a choice every step of the way to be abusive if that's how it turns out. Um, and, and we need, again, during that uh, space between the stimulus and the response, we need to create some tools and strategies so that they don't lash out mm-hmm. um, and so that they can also manage their own emotions um, so that they can get right back to what they need to do. I feel angry stimulus. Maybe I'll do some breathing exercise. Maybe I'll take a time out, go take a walk. During that walk, I, would, I might suggest to a client, let's re- reframe the situation. You know, mm-hmm. like she might be having a difficult time do too because there's a project you know, deadline or a project release coming up. Okay, let's go back to work and I'll mm-hmm. you know, work on it. To, you know, t- tell the person that I'm sorry how I reacted and this is, let's talk about what we can do moving forward. Mm-hmm. But really creating this response, the, the space between that mm-hmm. um, so that we don't hurt ourselves or others. Yeah, you know, it's interesting you say that I always, also think that our response mechanism or the way we fight comes a lot from what we saw our parents do um, when we were younger so how they were resolving Mm -hmm. conflict um and you know i think sometimes we just don't know any other way um in in a sense right and when i think back to my parents and they divorced when i was 19 they had very strong (laughs) um conversations and fights and conflicts all the time so Mm-hmm. It's interesting right now, you know, we're adults and we're, we're going into our own relationships. And then when I observe myself sometimes, you know, with my partner, I think, you know, I react kind of how my parents reacted. And I'm like, I just, you know, not not that I can't be any different. I obviously need to mm-hmm. create awareness to to um, create space to react in a different way. But I think, yeah, it's really interesting how we are almost primed to um, yes. react or resolve conflicts in a certain way because we saw it for 10, 15, 19 years um, from right. our parents, right? And that's right. just what we what we learned at the time. Yeah, and it's it's and, and it feels completely automated, right? Mm-hmm. It feels like automatic. And and that's where we we uh, we we learn what we see, especially mm-hmm. at a young age. We're you know we're 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 just absorbing everything. And mm-hmm. and so that's part of the challenge is unlearning how we learned how to do conflict and and it and it takes it takes a bit of a commitment i you know I'm i sure, yeah. i can i i can say i feel like my dad or i feel like you know how i how i was when i was 10 when i'm in this argument with this person it's really mm-hmm. really mm-hmm. Int- intriguing to look at yeah how effective is it to actually do i'm gonna move a little bit uh, to the side here because the as you can see the sun is blinding me oh. pretty strongly <laughs> okay <laughs> um yeah but uh, you know i i assume you know i i think i guess i always think of this like really crazy angry manager that i didn't i never had but you know i'm always like um how effective and how quickly can people actually you know change that or be aware of like their anger and then actually change change that for the better yeah so it's, it's it's a great great question and i'm, I'm glad you asked uh, we and, and i know you know 
part of it is it's <laughs> like we have to be willing to change right yeah we have to have it so what i look for and and and, and i've worked uh, for for years in the court systems here in santa clara mm -hmm. county and and i would get referrals of, of people you know who for and i still do sometimes but who have been um perpetrators of domestic violence or or have been arrested for assault and battery and uh mm -hmm. there's you know when they're court ordered um mm. you know how you have we have to ask how much like the anger really management order <laughs> yes the, the anger management it is kind of uh -huh. like the fix-all order right mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. so there's so, so we can look at there's great material on anger management there's um great information on on how anger works and where we get it some of the stuff we just talked about but they're mm -hmm. you know what i look for especially with court ordered people is this one percent accountability for why they're seeing me or even in private clients if they say well my partner wants me to work on my anger i don't think i really have an anger problem i might mm -hmm. explore with them if i can get a one percent just mm -hmm. give me an in we can mm -hmm. get to 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 creating change mm -hmm. however if a person is like i'm not i'm not angry it's what the what rest of the world does to me um mm -hmm. I, I don't even really like to work with that type of clients. It's really difficult. Yeah. Um, yeah. We have to have a some sense of desire, motivation, accountability to create change. Otherwise, the person is just going to be playing the game. So if I yeah. translate that into the workplace and a manager who mm -hmm. might be sent to me for coaching because yeah. they're a difficult person, um, it's the same thing. If I don't get a little bit of if they come in and they say, I know I have to do this company makes me do it, but you know, mm -hmm. I'm fine. I don't think I, I don't have an anger problem with my wife. I don't know why my, any, I have a lot of friends. I don't know what they're talking about. We need to explore that deeper and try to find some mm -hmm. sense of accountability. Mm -hmm. So you just ask a lot of, I'm sure, very smart questions and then hope that there will be kind of that little light bulb in their head <laughs> that's yeah. going off. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, when and it, and it's really not um, not super intense or you know for something from my training. It's questions we generally would ask if we were talking to one another. Like I, I will say something to the effect of, "So you don't have an anger problem? If your husband was here, what would he tell me about you? You're not here. Mm -hmm. He's here. What would he say about you?" Then I might mm -hmm. say to to the director person I might say well what would your employees say about you even though you know you obviously mm -hmm. don't think you have an anger problem what have the 360 said and then usually I'll say okay it looks like more than one person in your life has told you this mm -hmm. so why don't we you know mm -hmm. spend some time looking at that mm -hmm. so that might be that's a way of kind of getting into um, finding some external sources to validate that there might be an anger management problem Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And do you do connect stress regulation a lot to that piece as well? For sure. And, and, and again, that's where I, I think when, when you're in working with people in general, um, you know, if, if somebody to me says, oh, I went on a date, I do a men's group, right? So mm -hmm. some guy last night said, I went on a date and <laughs> it was the third date and she didn't want to kiss me after the third date. I went to kiss her and she turned her cheek. And should I ever talk to her again? And I'm going, how did the date, how did it go? Oh, it was great. We talked for hours and, and I'm, and his thinking is, oh, she doesn't like me. And my, my 
from you know being what I do, I'm like, look, people have a vast array of experience in their lives that we don't have, right? That that we might not think she might have been through a difficult situation and is more cautious. You know, women are and need to be more cautious than men. That's mm-hmm. appropriate. And you know, the rest of the group chimed in, chimed in about dude, you're moving too fast, relax, take it easy and all that stuff. So where we get into, oh, you know, the fight or flight mechanism of, oh, something's wrong or um, uh, I got really angry and I just lost it. What we'll do is explore, okay, well, what might have that other person have been going, going through? Do you have any personal mm-hmm. triggers or traumas or things that have happened in your past that lead you to that? take you right into that um, fight or flight or to that stressed realm. And uh, do you, there's a book called The Body Keeps the Score. And it's mm-hmm. by this guy, um, Vanderkolk. He's a, he's a psychiatrist. But I think this might answer your question, Julia, is that when we get into that response mode, that fight or flight with anger, that's where the work needs to be done. Because in relationships, fight or flight is created sometimes and it's not a life or death experience it's Mm -hmm. just an argument but our Mm -hmm. our mind takes it to that pathway so really educating a person that you know you know it's this it seems like you go into this highly reactive mode where you get a stomach ache your heart rate increases you know you're super angry really quick where do you think that comes from because you, you you're not going to die and this mm-hmm. isn't the end of your life, even though your brain keeps telling you that, mm-hmm. you know, well, when we get abandoned by a parent at a young mm-hmm. age, or when we feel rejected by somebody, that can trigger a fight or flight response later in our life that we have no idea mm-hmm. why it's there. And then we need to, and that's when we go into the work we do, right? Breathing, mm-hmm. focusing, mm-hmm. self-care, talking mm-hmm. to somebody, yeah. having good general health. Yeah. Yeah. And really uh, like working on that awareness and just understanding our own story. I think there's so much power behind that because as, as soon as you uh, have that awareness, there are so much more things that you then understand about yourself too. I really love Joe, Dr. Joe Dispenza and all of his yeah. books. Um, and, you know, he says by creating awareness alone, you've already changed 10% of your brain because it's so exactly. powerful to just be aware that, you know, and accept <laughs> um, that, you know, that there are things that you have experienced or that there are certain behaviors that you um, put out on the day. Sure. What yeah. is the title? I remember the title of his book. I have it over here, but I love Breaking it. the what Habit the... of Being Yourself. Yeah. Breaking the Habit <laughs> of Being Yourself. It's great. Yeah. Great I love that and, and book. Br- yeah. And great. Um, a different form of breathing and meditation that is is active right mm-hmm. where his, uh, some of his his breathing exercises are fantastic and um, they're not they're not boring because mm-hmm. you're actively breathing yep. very deeply and stuff like that so yeah that's yeah, very interesting what he's doing yeah um i'm very curious what are the main reasons clients come to you so what are the main challenges that they experience yeah, so there, you know, from I, I was known in, in this area, I, I worked with court ordered clients, and I, I worked mm-hmm. with in business and kind of the the the, the touch point for that uh, came that I got known, I became known for dealing with difficult people. So I get, mm-hmm. I'd get difficult managers at work. And that's why I go, well, I'm not super motivated 
right now to work with people who aren't motivated because I've worked with a lot of those mm -hmm. people. And I, I think there's been some progress and education and stuff, but really uh, right now I get, um, so, so I have a person, like an example is I have a company in uh, Orange County, California that, that I've been working with for like five, five and a half years. And I won't hear from them for months. And then they'll, they'll say, Frank, we have a client ready for you. We want, we want them to do the brain-based assessment. They're from another country. They're difficult. Um, they're having difficulty integrating here. And mm -hmm. I want you to work with them. So that's one type of client. And then I get the general uh, uh, men and women in my office um, that are just dealing with kind of life stressors and anxiety, depression, and relationship issues. Um, and they come in and they, and they really want to look at uh, feeling better. And, you know, the interesting one after COVID, I got, I received more, I've had more couples than I've had uh, mm, my whole uh, career. I like to, I like to give this example. If you're in, you can be madly in love with your partner, but however, if you eat dinner with them and that's the only meal you have every day together because both people are one person's going to work. And let's let's say it's me and my wife does not like maybe that I chew with my mouth open, right? So she might roll her eyes at dinner, but that's it. I only see I only see her for dinner. When COVID came, you would watch your husband, wife, partner eat breakfast, lunch, dinner, snacks, how they do it and watch TV and how they eat too fast and those my examples that seem minor have people have become really resentful and really angry and really triggered and so so you might think it's a little thing but during covid we we had to be with people 24 7 mm. and um and people sometimes realize they don't like each other um as much as they thought they did and and they come to me to see if they can repair it or maybe move on but i've had more couples than i've ever ever had so um but like i as we started this conversation uh, a lot of people um that come to me post covid have had these kind of post-traumatic um emotional reactions to um just saying what has happened in my life so much mm -hmm. has changed and mm -hmm. uh really talking about how they want to be right now and how they want to be in the future mm -hmm. very cool all right Frank, um, how can people best learn more about you if they are curious? Um, they can contact me with my first and last name, uh, Frank um, at delfugoconsulting.com. Uh, and uh, you, can, you can Google me, you'll find me on, online. Um, but feel free to contact me uh, through email or phone. Awesome. Yeah, I'll make sure to connect all of these um, contact points in the show notes as well. It was really interesting Thank talking you. to you today. Thank you so much for sharing so much wisdom and insight. I think it's always, you know, it's always powerful to learn new tools and new, new perspectives. So thank you so much for being one of them. And if you listener are listening right now and you think, oh, wow, this was really interesting. And maybe I know someone that um, could uh, use some anger management, make sure that you share this podcast episode with them as well, because that's one of the ways of how you can show that you actually care as well. So thank you mm -hmm. so much for listening. Frank, again, thank you so much for being here with us. I wish you a wonderful rest of your day and I'll hopefully talk to you really soon. All right. Thank you very much. I really appreciate you having me on. Bye.